Faith Church. It's good to see you guys today. Thanks so much for deciding to be here for the last week of our unbelievable series. This really has been, I think, for, for me, and I think for a lot of testimonies I've heard, has been unbelievable for a lot of people as you've experienced kind of what life means. You know, Jesus, he said this. This has been the verse we've been talking about in John 10, 10. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest, life more abundantly. He's saying, I've come to give you really and to show you what life really means like when you live it at its best. And as hard as this, he's not just talking about eternity. When Jesus said, I've come to give you life, he wants to affect who we are and how we live right now. And so we talked about faith. We talked about worship. We talked about grace. Last week, man, had a great week, Valentine's Day weekend. Talked about unbelievable marriages. And, uh, man, grateful for a lot of people who took home toolboxes. I hope you guys were blessed by those boxes that we invested in you. Hopefully you were surprised. Hopefully you used all the tools. And uh, so, hey, listen, uh, this week we're going to end this series in in a way that I think, really, honestly, I think is probably one of the most significant messages in this series. Because if you're willing to take the information, take the revelation that we're going to talk about today and apply it to your life, I believe with all of my heart that it has the ability truly to give you an unbelievable life at the highest level. But the challenge is this, and here's what we've been talking about. Here's kind of the tagline, is that you can have an unbelievable life if you're willing to live it in an unbelievable way, which again, it means if you're willing to make hard decisions, if you're willing to make right choices, if you're willing to live life God's way, you can experience an unbelievable life. But the challenge is hearing what God's way is and having the boldness and the courage to live it out. So today, let me just tell you where we're going. Today, as we wind this up, I want to talk about, again, something that doesn't just affect you. It has the power to affect you, your household, your community, has the power to affect others, really has the the power and the ability to affect your relationship with God. Today, I want to talk about unbelievable generosity. Everybody say generosity. Generosity, I I know right away, if if you're not already on board, um, generosity is, we're going to talk today a little bit about money. Now, money, I know, is very difficult to talk about because we get funny when people talk about money. Uh, Several uh, several weeks ago, my wife and I, we were traveling, and uh, we went uh, went through an airport. And for all of you guys that travel or have traveled, you know, when you go through security, you have to take all these, you know, you got to take your shoes off, got to take your belt off, got to take your pants off. And then it's awkward when when you realize you didn't have to take your pants off, so... But, you know, you're taking all this stuff off, and you have to run stuff through a scanner, and then you have to get scanned... So we were in a hurry, and I'm taking all my stuff off, and I'm waiting in line for my x-ray, and uh, the guy standing there, the, the, the uh, security guy, is like, hey, no paper in your pockets, nothing in your pockets. So I realize I have a couple $20 bills in my pocket, so I reach in real quick before I go through the scanner, and I take this money, and I stick it in my little basket that goes through the x-ray. Go through the line, we go through the other side real quick, we're running late, so I get, you know, I get dressed. <laughs> put my belt on, put my shoes on, and we book it to our gate, get on our flight, we get home, and uh, we're trying to get from the airport in Nashville to our hotel where our car is parked. Well, it finds out our shuttle was, was, was broke down. So I caught this guy that was a shuttle, not even to our hotel, and I said, hey, man, would you please give us a ride? And he said, well, you're not really a part of my, you know, my route. And I said, man, I need a ride. So he said, all right, hop in, I'll take you. So we get on this shuttle on our way back to our car, and I think, i got to tip this guy anyways. I mean, he's taking care of our bags, but I want to tip him extra because, man, he's taking us, and he doesn't have to. So I go reach in my pocket for one of those 20s, and it's gone. And you know how when you tap your pockets and it looks like you're just playing with your rear, and I'm like, where's my money? It was gone, and, and I remembered. 
I backtracked. The last place I seen that money was I took it out and I stuck it in that basket. Right away, I got indignant at humanity. I'm like, those dirty, rotten thieves, someone took that money. I mean, I was, I was just, ah. I thought next time I'm in an airport, I'm going to stand up and preach and all them dirty heathens can get saved. You can't trust anybody. Humanity's no good for nothing. I mean, I was just on a rant in my mind. I was like, I can't believe somebody stole my money. And so here's the thing is, we get in the car and we're, we're driving home from Nashville. And I remembered, I remembered that when I put my shoes on, I felt like my sock bunched up in my, in my shoe. And I thought, what's the chance that my money's in my shoe? Now, I wasn't about to admit this to my wife and shatter her idea that I'm perfect. So I got home, went in my bedroom, took my shoe off, and sure enough, there that money. Here I am, I'm so upset about people touching my money that the money was in my shoe the whole time. The moral of the story is what your mom always told you, don't ever put money in your mouth because it's dirty. Like there's a chance it's been in my shoe for like eight hours. <laughs> but two, here's kind of the bigger thing is, again, just the, just the thought of someone touching my money, just the idea of somebody, you know, even thinking about my money just had me irate. Why? Because we get funny when people talk about money. I'm going to tell you, money matters to us, but money also matters to God. If you're new to spiritual things or you've been in church a long time, maybe you've never heard this, but money really is a spiritual matter. And here's why. A lot of times when we come into a relationship with God, we ask God, hey, God, what should I do with my marriage? Hey, God, what should I do with this relationship? And you know, God, through his word and through the Holy Spirit, he has so much to say about all these topics in life. But you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ unless he has access to every area of your life. Which means you can't say, God, help me with my marriage, help me with my relationships, help me with my job, but God, don't touch my money. Because every part of our life should come underneath the lordship of who Jesus is. Every part of our life should be open to say, God, what is it you've called me to do? And ultimately, God has called us to live in unbelievable generosity. And so today, I want to talk about this topic, and I want you to know right on the front end, and I mean this, I, I wish as a pastor, and there's no way to do this, but I wish, I wish I could take my heart out and show you my heart. Because my heart through this message is not to get anything from you. Truly, my heart is as, you've, as you discover God's plan for your finances, the same way my wife and I, through years of honoring God with our resources, have found out that when you honor God, God does great things in your life. I want you to see, I want you to see, it's not what I want from you, it's what I want for you. So check this out. There's a great story in Luke chapter 12, and here's a story, check it out, where Jesus, right, he would walk, and when he would walk, crowds would just gather around him. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, just people would want to be near him. They would want to hear what he has to say, and this is one of those times Jesus is just kind of walking, this crowd has gathered around him. And out of the crowd, this guy shouts out a question for Jesus, a statement really, and here's what he says. <clears throat> then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now, this isn't uncommon because there's some of you in this room, you've experienced this. Mom passed away, dad passed away, and all of a sudden, people who were like brothers and sisters that were close, all of a sudden are torn apart by an estate argument. I get the house. No, I get the car. And if you've not experienced it personally, there's a good chance that you know somebody that there's tension in the family because of a debate over an estate. Isn't it crazy? You know, they say blood's thicker than water, but I'm telling you green's stronger than red. That's a fact. People get funny when it comes to their money. Here's a question. 
What drives dissension in a family when it comes to an estate? What drives that argument that people will bicker over stuff? So this guy screams out this question. I want you to notice what Jesus says. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge? Say that word. Who made me a judge over you to decide such things? So basically, this guy is asking Jesus to make a decision. Jesus responds beautifully. He says, hey, who made me your judge? Let me ask you the same question. Who makes God your judge? Now, naturally, he is already, as the God of the universe, he is, in essence, who he is. He's judge. You don't have to believe in God. He's the judge. You don't have to think he's the judge. He is the judge. But what makes him the judge, this is so good, what makes God our judge is our decision to make him our judge, which means when you decide, God, I want you to have access to my life. God, tell me what to do. God, tell me how to manage this. God, help me, help me, to, help me to walk through this. What we're saying is, God, we value what you have to say. We value your word. We value your opinion. And if you'll give it to us, we'll do it. Is that right? So you want to know who makes him our judge? We do. Which means this. If you haven't yet made God your judge, if you've not yet made Jesus your Lord, why not? And if you have, are you really open to hear what he has to say in the area of generosity? Check it out. Keep rolling. So Jesus, he goes on, he says this. Then he said, read it with me, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Think about this. He's like, hey, guys, beware of greed. Take heed of greed. Do you know why? He said, hey, I want you to be careful that you don't allow yourself to slip into greed. Now, if I ask you, and I won't, and, but I'm not sure if you would, if I said, hey, how many of you in this room are greedy? Do you know probably no one would raise their hands? Do you know why? Because no one in this room probably believes they're greedy. Do you know why? Because greed is incredibly hard to see in the mirror. Now, we're great at seeing sin in other people, aren't we? We're not just good at seeing it. We're great at talking about it, or I am at least. We can see people's mistakes. We can see their shortcomings. We can see where they don't measure up. Looking at ourselves, it's a little, hard to, a little harder to see, but there are some things that are just obvious. Let me give you a couple examples. Murder. How do people know that murder is a sin? If you're a murderer, it's obvious that you're a murderer. If you're an adulterer. Like, you don't have to wake up in the morning and say, hmm, I wonder if I'm an adulterer. Either you're sleeping with someone else besides your spouse or you're not. I mean, like, it's clear. You're a thief. Isn't it easy to see if you're a thief? If you're a liar, easy to know. But there's something about greed. It's hard to see in the mirror, greedy. It's hard to look at ourselves and say, I'm greedy. But Jesus, he said, hey, be careful about greed. Be on, be on guard. Take heed for greed. Be careful that you don't allow yourself to get greedy. Well, how do we know where the line is? How do we know, listen to this, who's the judge of where greed is or not? And I think a better question to ask is, instead of are you greedy, I think we should ask this, the other side, are you generous? Here's a definition of generosity. Giving, everyone say this with me, giving more, by shout more. Giving more than is necessary or expected. So God, Jesus is saying this, hey, I want you to be careful because you're going to find in this world that it's incredibly easy to get greedy. It's incredibly easy in our culture to think about nobody but yourself and not only do it, but not even realize it. And so he says, what I want you to do is be careful. And he says, I want you to keep looking. But he said, you need somebody that will help you to realize when you've gone over the line from generosity to greed. So with that, he tells this story, tells a parable 
Now, a parable or a story is a way that Jesus used to teach kingdom truths. It's a way he took everyday things and taught kingdom principles or how we should live. Here's what he says. Then he told them a story. Read it with me. A, y'all got to say that. A, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced many crops. Now, the power of a parable is the ability of us to easily see ourselves in the story. So when Jesus told a lot of parables, like right away we could say, that's me. Jesus is talking about me. Oh, man, I mean, Jesus, like Jesus is reading our mail, right? Jesus, he, he's got the 411 on our life. It's like he, he's got under us under my scope right away. In a lot of the parables of Jesus, we know he's talking about us. This one, how many people right away can say, well, he's not talking about me because there's no way I'm a rich man. Let me just tell you that this parable, if it was ever for anybody, it's for this generation. If this parable was ever true about anybody that's ever lived, it's true about people right here in this room. Everybody say, I'm rich. You can't say it with any confidence, but let me just help you out a little bit. I want you to know that we are rich people. We're rich. Do you know that, do you know that almost half the people in this world do not have adequate shelter? Do you know that over a billion people on this planet right now does not have clean drinking water? Almost a billion people today will not eat a meal. Now, come on, y'all just, right now, you're thinking about what meal you're going to eat within the next hour. Do you know, listen to this, do you know that 2 billion people on this planet live on less than $2 a day? Over a billion people on this planet live on less than $1 a day. The average American, we live on $97 a day which means we're 100 times wealthier than a third of the population of this planet. Whoo, come on, somebody. Listen, you don't realize how wealthy you are until you travel to a third world country. And then you see, man, we are really blessed. Here, let me just put this in greater context because some of you are like, wait, wait, Pastor, like I'm a college student. You don't know. Listen, baby, you don't know. We are rich people. If you make $25,000 a year, you are in the top 10% wealthiest people on the planet. If you make $40,000 a year, you're in the top 5% wealthiest people on the planet. You make $50,000 a year, you're the one percenters. Remember everybody scrambling a couple years ago by the one percenters. You're them. The hypocrisy was they were shouting about the one percenters. We in America right now, we are the one percenters. I'm looking at a room full of the richest people on the planet. Not just the richest people on the planet. In this room right here, you are some of the richest people that have ever lived on planet Earth. The rich man, it's us. You can check it out on your own, uh, www.globalrichlist.com. You can punch in your income, and it'll show you where you rank globally. I did it. It's kind of scary. My wife and I, we make more money together, and I wouldn't consider myself rich at first. I'm richer than 95 point, or 99.5% of the people on this planet. Like, I am rich. See, we don't think so because we always think if I can just get to the next level of income, I'll be rich. If you make $20,000, you're like, if I could only make 50. If I made 50, I'd be rich. You know what they found out? People make $50,000 a year. They don't think they're rich. You know what? They say, if I could just make $100,000 a year, I would be rich. 
Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus, this is 2,000 years ago. He's talking to everyday people in Palestine. And if it was true for them then, it is absolutely true for us now that we are rich. Everybody say, I'm rich. So we're in the story. Keep rolling. He said to himself, watch this. Can you roll the last verse for me, please? Then he told them, watch this, a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. So here's this farmer. He's rolling. Things are going really well. Next verse. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. This is a great question that every one of us in this room should be asking today as we talk about unbelievable generosity. What do I do with my extra? What do I do? do? Because God's God's provided for us, and we have. God's given us a lot. God's blessed us with a lot. We're not just some of the wealthiest people. We're some of the wealthiest people ever. Why has God given you everything that he's given you? What should I do with my extra? These are rich people problems. Let me talk about, and some of you are like, you're still not on board yet. Let me just help you out and let you know you all have rich people problems. Have you ever gotten a bonus check, Christmas bonus check, profit sharing check, ever got an extra rebate? And the question is, what do we do with this extra? Like, do we, do we save it? Do we put it on something? If you're trying to decide what you do with that check, you got rich people problems. If you've ever had this conversation with your spouse, hey, where should we go on vacation? You got rich people problems. Because you're trying to get away from something that the rest of the world is trying to get to. Have you ever taken food out of your refrigerator and thrown it away even though it was good to make room for newer food? Those are rich people problems. If you're trying to decide where to park your boat or your jet skis, those are rich people problems. Two and a half baths. That's all I got to say. Two and a half baths. If you've never traveled to a third world country where their bathroom is a hole in the middle of the village... You have two and a half baths in your house. How lazy are we? Uh, Yeah, before I buy this house, let me just ask you a question. Um, Do I have to walk the whole 20 feet to the bathroom or is there one closer? Like those are rich people problems. If you have someone trying to manage your money, rich people problems. If you have a bank account to hold your extra, those are rich people problems. Here's the question. There's nothing wrong with having extra. In fact, we live right now in a culture that wants to make you feel guilty for having extra. God doesn't want you to feel guilty for having extra. God wants you to feel responsibility to be generous. The question is, what do you do with the extra? What do you do with the thing that God's given you? Next verse. Then he said, I know, this is his response, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. He's saying, I know, I'm going to keep it for me. I'm going to make it about me. Greed is about me. Generosity is about others. What God is showing us is when you realize you have extra, but it's only about you, God is saying you are greedy. I want to celebrate today. If you're 25 or younger, the millennials in this house watching online, man, you guys have figured something out that, man, our generation has missed. The generation before me has missed. See, our generation, we thought that that life was about stuff. We thought that life was about how much you could accumulate. We thought life was a bigger house, that that, that a a better life was better stuff. I love the millennial generation because you all figured out that you want to make a difference in this world and you're willing to live on less and give more to make a difference in the world that you live on. There is nothing like being more like Christ than when you live a generous lifestyle. See, man, here's what studies have shown is we think, man, if I can just get more, I'll be happy. 
Do you know some of the most miserable people on the planet have extra, more extra than a lot of us in this room? True happiness doesn't come from money. True happiness comes from generosity. Making your life about someone besides yourself. So he says, hey, man, I'm going to make my life about me. Keep rolling. He says, I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Keep going. But God said to him, read it with me. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you work for? You know, it's funny, man. When you read the parable of this guy, here's a guy, man, that he's not just doing well. He's doing really well. He doesn't just have enough. He's got more than enough. And what's crazy is a lot of us, man, we wish we could be like him. Because for us, life is about money. Right, the reason you went to college, you didn't, nobody went to college. Maybe some of you, and, and I owe you an apology if I'm assuming wrong. But probably most of us, we didn't go to college thinking, man, I want to be a great humanitarian. We went to college like, how much money can I make? Show me the degree that will get me the most amount of money. That's why we went to school. And we chase money, and we chase stuff, and we want more, and we want bigger and better and shinier. And a lot of us have rich people problems. And Jesus tries to pull us back, and here's, watch this, watch, watch. This is so good. Remember where he started. He said, hey, who's your judge? Because if I'm your judge, and you take all your stuff and make it about you and yours and your household, my estimation of you is that you're a fool. Let's let that sink in for a minute. God, tell me what to do with my extra. Hey, if it's about you, you're a fool. Because you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you work for? See, a lot of us, we live this life pushing for more because we hope, we hope that we're always going to have enough for tomorrow. The problem isn't you having enough for tomorrow. The problem is you don't realize that you may have more stuff than you do time. So here's what I want you to realize. Someone, he asks the question, Who's going to get everything you work for? Do you know someone's going to get everything you're working for? You're either going to spend it away, you're going to will it away, or you're going to give it away. You're either going to spend it away, you're going to will it away, or you're going to give it away. And while you will never regret, while you will never regret generosity, one day you will always regret selfishness. We're going to look back and say, man, I wish I was more generous. And so he says this, watch. Keep rolling in here. He says this. He says, yes, a person, read it with me. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. So he's kind of bringing this to a head, and he's saying, hey, guys, listen, listen, listen. He said, man, he said there's people who store up treasure on earth. He says, but it's not about if you're a Christ follower, if you're a God person, if you've asked me to be Lord, if you've asked me to be judge over your stuff, then what I want you to know is it's not about storing earthly wealth here, but it's about having a rich relationship with God. What does that mean? What's it mean to store treasure in heaven as opposed to storing treasure on earth? What's it mean to have a rich relationship with God? Paul answers this question in 1 Timothy. I want you to notice this. He says, tell them, the them here, you can read it in context. He's talking to rich people. How many rich people we got in the house? You ought to be raising. Come on, I know you're lazy, but get it up. We all some rich people in here. Tell them rich people to use their money for what? For me? For more of us? For more for mine? To do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. 
Now, listen, I, I can just be honest. I, I'm just, like, I'm getting ready for this message. I'm like, Lord, I'm generous. I'm glad you give me this message for all these greedy people so I can help them stop being greedy. And one day they'll be like me. Until I drive by, you know, there's, come on, we see them. And maybe I'm the only one who's done this. You know, you drive by someone standing on the side of the road with a sign and they need help. Now, I'm just telling you, I don't think you should help everybody who says they need help because not everybody who says they need help really needs help. And I think unwise generosity is poor stewardship. But if you're convinced someone needs help and you don't help them, because I've done it where I was like, that guy probably really needs help, but you conveniently get a phone call and it didn't ring. You're like, yeah, hey. So you don't have to make eye contact with them. Please tell me I'm not the only one who's ignored somebody in need. You know why? Because I thought, I got mine. You go get yours. Because I got a greedy heart. Because I'm not going to give you what I have. Because I'm going to keep it for me. And Jesus says, you know what? You're not a wise steward. You're a fool. Because the way that we get to an unbelievable life is through un believable generosity. So he has this whole conversation and he's probably where a lot of us are because right now, everybody in this room, here's, I, if I could read mine and I can, here's where everybody is. Some of you in this room are like, pastor, I'm there. We're generous. We're good. Like what's, what's next week about? Some of you in this room, you, you know you're not generous and you don't care and there's nothing I can do to help you. But there's some of you in this room, you know you're struggling to be generous and you're like, like, I want to be generous. If I could read your mind, here's what you're saying. I want to be generous, but I can't, I can't afford it right now. Like, we've dug ourselves a hole. We got credit card debt. We got two car payments. Even if I wanted to be generous, I can't. Jesus knew it. I love Jesus, man. He is so smart. He goes right off of talking about generosity, and he turns around to his disciples, to the ones that are really committed to following him, and he says this. Same, same story, next verse. Watch this. <clears throat> Go to the next verse for me. He says, then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you, come on, read it. That is why I tell you what? To be generous. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. Here's what he's saying. He's saying some of you are going to worry your way out of generosity. Some of you are going to convince yourself out of being generous because you're going to say, I can't afford it. But he's saying, don't worry about taking care of yourself. Worry about generosity and let me, your heavenly father, worry about taking care of you. It's an amazing, I'm telling you, this is the greatest thing. Watch, watch, watch. And I, as I get ready to close, this is it. One of the greatest things that I've learned, and I got to keep learning it, and I got to keep being reminded of it, but it's this, is that everything I have comes from God. Like, that's not the preacher thing to say. I'm telling you because I believe it. I'm telling you everything I have, my salvation, my strength, my joy, my peace, my provision, it all comes from God. And the reason he gave it to me is because according to scripture, he's my heavenly father and I'm his son. I didn't deserve it. He just gave it to me. But here's the thing. Watch. He didn't just give it to me for me only. See, because in scripture, he's not just our heavenly father and we're his children. The Bible says also as Christ followers, he's our head and we're his body, which means he didn't just give me stuff for me. He gave me stuff to get through me to this world because we are his hands and feet in this world where there are needy, hurty, struggling people. God has empowered us, gifted us, and blessed us to make a difference in this world through unbelievable generosity. And we can only do it when we get beyond ourselves. So I want you to know, man, listen, 
Some of you are right now at a place. This is a great time for you to take the next step in your spiritual journey and say, God, I'm going to determine to live my life with unbelievable generosity. I want you all to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm just, uh, God, thankful today that, God, even though greed is hard to see in the mirror, Father, I know that you will help us to see it. God, you're going to help us to be generous. God, you're going to help us to escape greed. You're going to help us to overcome worry. And, Father, just to start doing what's right. God, to start doing, Father, what pleases you, what honors you. God, to start doing, God, what makes an impact in this world. Father, forgive us. Forgive me where I've been greedy. God, forgive me where I've held back. And I pray in Jesus' name, God, across this room, for every person watching online, that, God, we would begin to live that life, that God honors you, that we would begin to store up treasure in heaven, that we would have a rich relationship with you by being generous. In Jesus' name, everybody who agrees said amen. Pastor Steve was doing a sermon on tithing. And that sermon was particularly about, are you a tipper or are you a tither? We knew what, what the word said about tithing, and we had heard the sermons and read the scriptures and all that, but um, there were a lot of times that we would, you know, make excuses of why we couldn't. And at that time, I realized I'm a tipper. I'm a tipper at best. And I thought, mm, I can do better than this. We had three cars and two car payments. And because we were, you know, struggling kind of financially, it was really becoming a burden on us. And we decided that since we only needed two cars, we were going to sell one of them. I was really convicted one Sunday morning about writing that check. I've got this war going on. It's huge. It's huge within me. Don't write that check. Write that check. Don't write that check. Write that check. We had it for sale maybe a month or so. Really started stressing because the second month was about to roll around with two car payments due. It's Christmas time. I need to spend that money on something else. I kept telling him, I feel like God is um, telling me that we're supposed to double our ties this week. I don't know how we're going to do that, but I just kept feeling that. I kept hearing that. I decided I'm going to write that check no matter what. When he got paid on Friday, that's the first thing I did. I go to my sock drawer getting ready for church after I wrote my check and I go and this this card is popped up a little bit in my sock drawer and I opened up this card and I had put my birthday money and totally forgot about this birthday money in my card. There is the exact amount of money that I had just wrote my check for. Then the next day, we actually got two offers, full price offers on the car. We were able to go pay off one car and another loan that we also had. I felt like God sent those people to us. And, you know, it makes you wonder if, if we were not obedient, if we didn't listen to what um, what we felt like he was saying, you know, what what would the outcome have been? How different would it have been? I think he wants you to test him. He wants you to say, hey, try me out because here I am. Let me show you what I can do. We were obedient and we did it. And I feel like coming through with the car and selling the car and paying off those debts, it just strengthened our faith in just so many areas more than just financially. When I found that money, I knew exactly where it came from. I knew exactly what the test was. And I knew I had passed my test.
Hey, listen, on, the, on your chairs, there's a card that says 90-day tithe challenge. I want you just to grab it. You don't do anything with it. Just grab it, put it in your hands for a minute. We believe that the starting point, we believe that the best place to start living an unbelievably generous life is with the tithe. The tithe is a word that's used in, in the Bible, and the tithe means a tenth. And here's what it means is that we believe that everything that we have comes from God, that he's our supplier, and we're his stewards, we're his managers. And he first requires us to bring back to him the first 10%, not 985, but the first 10 comes back to him. And he says this, and this is so great. He says, listen, when you do that, when you live with unbelievable generosity, when you bring back to me the tithe, the tenth of what I blessed you with, he said, then I will bless you more. I'll bless you unbelievably. In fact, he says, I want you to test me. I want you to try me at this. I want you to live unbelievably generous and watch what will happen. In fact, here's the promise. Check this out. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says this. Every voice, come on, read this with me, every voice. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And then he says, try it. Put me to the test. And so since we believe that this is a great starting point for generosity, this morning we're issuing a 90-day tithe challenge. Now, some of you here are already tithers. Some of you here are already givers. And I want you to know how much we appreciate your generosity and your investment in our church. You know, we put paint on the walls in the auditorium in the new sanctuary this past week. We're just about five weeks out from getting in there. But you know, we're able to do this with cash. We Almost a million dollar remodel. We didn't have to go to a bank. We didn't have to beg money. We were able to do it because of your generosity to this house. Thank you for everything you already, already do here in this place. It's amazing. But listen, so some of you, man, you're already here and you could already have your, you could already celebrate or tell your own story of God's faithfulness. But you that are on the fence, you that maybe haven't already kind of stepped out there, I want to issue this challenge. Here's the challenge. If you'll take the challenge and tithe starting next Sunday for the next 90 days, at the end of 90 days, if you can't say, I believe that God blessed me like he said he would, you come back to us and we'll refund every penny that you've given over 90 days. You got nothing to lose. Only thing you can lose is nothing. Only thing you can gain is faith in figuring out really how faithful God is. So here's what you need to do. Fill this card out. In a moment, we're going to receive the offering, and you can just slip this in the offering, and that's your way of saying, Pastor Steve, count me in. And I want to challenge you. 90 days. Figure out, find out how faithful God is. Find out the level he's called us to in unbelievable generosity. Go ahead and take a minute. If you want to take this challenge, we're going to give you just a moment to fill it out as a worship team leads us in this song.
ushers come, we're going to go ahead and receive the offering this morning. So again, you can use your connect envelope for your offering. You can go ahead and text give if that's convenient for you. You can give online later. But however you decide to do it, man, thanks again for supporting what we do here at Faith Church. But again, if you decide to take the tithe challenge, here's what the card says. I would like to test God's faithfulness. We can do that because he gave us permission to. By accepting the 90-day tithe challenge, I agree for the next 90 days, my household will contribute to God through Faith Church a tithe equal to or greater than 10% of our total income. I understand and agree to the terms. So they're on here. I want to challenge you, man, to get on board and see what God will do. Again, all you got to do is tear it off, drop it in the bucket. Archie's going to lead us in this. Please stay seated for the offering. Once we get it done, Archie will dismiss. We have a handful of Better Together boxes. If you didn't get one, first come, first serve at the end of service. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.